The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. Last week we looked at Jeremiah chapter 2, and we were talking about what's your source? God came and said, I am the source. I am the stream or the fountain of living water. And if you come and drink from me, you will gain life, a sustaining life from me, and it will flow from you to everyone that you come in contact with. There's these beautiful pictures in the Old Testament that said, where the righteous go uh, in the desert, uh, they leave oases. They leave pools of water that spring forth in life. It says that the city is blessed because of the presence of the righteous. That where you are, you are a blessing to those who are around you. Uh, That your presence in the world uh, is imperative for life to flourish and to go. And And the homework I gave you last week, and I hope that you took advantage of it, was to ask the question, what are your cisterns? Because he said, I'm the source of true life, but you've, you've left me and you've run to cisterns, which are hewn with human hands and are leaky and they're filled with muddy, uh, just gross stuff. And you keep pouring in and pouring in and you keep hoping to gain life from that mosquito larva infested pool of stagnant water. And you can't understand why your life isn't flourishing. So the question was, what are your cisterns? I hope some of you took opportunity uh, to identify them. Because you will never be able to combat them. You will never be able to dismantle them until you identify what they are. And it would be the height of pride and arrogance and such a lack uh, of self-awareness to say, I have no cisterns. If you think that you have no cisterns, you may be sitting there today and may have gone, I I considered these things, and I figured that I don't have any. Here's your homework this week. Ask someone else. (laughs) Move on from the person in the mirror and say to the person closest to you, in my life, where do you see me running to find life? Now, they may say Christ, and that's awesome, and you should celebrate that. Or they may say, well, I see you running here or there. Or ask it a different way. In your relationship with me, what are you gaining? What's the overflow that you get from me? And some of you, you might not like the answers. I get condemnation and bitterness. I get frowns and I get looks of consternation. I get nothing really from you that's life-giving. If that's the case, what you have to do then is not attack the person who says they didn't get anything from you, but look inside and say, I must not have much to give. I must be attached to the wrong source. And you know it. When your life is dry, you know it, don't you? A great illustration of it is Melba toast. You guys know what Melba toast is. Uh, It's basically burnt bread. And somehow they marketed it and we buy it, and we put a little bit of stuff on it, but you eat a bunch of that, and that's sort of what your life is like. It's just just really dry and parched and arid land. Christ is saying it wasn't ever designed to be that way. He said, I am the fountain flowing fully for you, and what you see illustrated around the room today are springs of life. 
These tables are set here for you to come and to be nourished on later in the service today. For Christ to say, I am flowing out of it. And he is a picture-giving God because he knows we need pictures. And so he said, I am bread and I am wine. I am the new covenant. I am the light of the world. I died on a cross so that you wouldn't have to die in this way, that you would be able to live forever. And he says, I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the gate. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection. I am these things. And then he says in John 15, I am the true vine. And if you are attached to me and grafted into me, then you will be growing and gaining life from me. I am your source. So today we're going to look at a little different illustration. Last week we looked at the illustration of water uh, and of the spring of living water. And this week we're going to look at John 15 and the picture of the true vine. And then next week, we're going to go towards the uh, imperative. We talked about the indicative. We said we need to know who we are and the source of who we are in Christ. So we're looking at that last week and this week. And then next week, we're going to go now the imperative. If you are connected to the right source, if you are a new creation in Christ, if that has really taken place, here then is how we should be living our lives. Here's what it should look like to the watching world and to yourself. So this week, though, go ahead and flip with me to John chapter 15. A very, very familiar passage for many of you. One of the great uh, I am statements uh, of Christ within John's gospel. And this is the word of the Lord. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. That it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another As I have loved you, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask in the, Father, in, my, in the Father, in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Let's pray. God, we ask for your blessing now upon this, your word, and that you would teach us in these few moments that we have together. Would you be glorified? In Christ's name, amen. So, let's begin with the end game. That's usually where we like to start. 
we like to go right around to the end and go, where is this thing going? Where is Jesus leading us? What's, what's coming around? What is his purpose? What does Jesus really want from me? Some of you are here and you're coming back into church, maybe for the first time. Maybe you grew up in church and you got burnt out a little bit and you're tired of church and the rules and the regulations of the church. And so you've poked your head back in to see if anything may have changed. For others of you, you've never been in a church and you're coming and you're investigating. And for some of you, you've been here and you've loved Christ for a long time. And so... Christ never hides anything. He comes right out at the beginning and he says, this is the end game. Here is the purpose. Here is the sole purpose of why I came into the world. He said, you see, you didn't choose me, but my father chose you and gave you to me, basically. And the purpose of his choosing you was that you would bear much fruit. He's saying the purpose of my life was to come in and so impact your life and so catastrophically change your life that your life would then bear fruit, that the character of your life would be changed. Fruit is is synonymous uh, with character in the New Testament. And he says, and your mind, if you've been in the church and you've studied some, goes quickly to Galatians chapter 5 to where Paul would write, and he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, when God comes in and he transforms the life and Christ takes up residency there, that the natural outgrowth of that life is fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. He's saying those things are going to naturally grow from you. And here's a little step back pause for just a moment. If you are not bearing fruit in that way, If you don't see that in your life, not perfectly, but at least consistently growing in your life, there is reason for concern. Go study the scriptures, and you will not find in the scripture your salvation talked about in the past tense. It is always talked about in the present tense. It is, you are currently bearing fruit. You are currently loving one another. You are currently following Christ and doing this. Many of us like to buy into that once saved, always saved uh, truth, and it is true. But the problem is we misunderstand it. Oh, I grew up in the church. Oh, I got baptized when I was a little kid. Oh, I even got more excited about it when I was in high school and I got rebaptized in the ocean and I went all the way under and I came all the way out and, and I've got it. I've been sprinkled, I've been dunked, I've been poured on, I've been prayed over, I've been prophesied to. I'm all of that. But I don't really live for Jesus now. I mean, there's no real need for that now. I'll, I'll get there one day. Be concerned. Because Jesus is saying, you will be bearing fruit now if you're engrafted into me. So he said, the end game uh, is that I'm going to change you. I am going to radically work uh, in your life uh, in this way. Tim Keller, the pastor in New York City at Redeemer Presbyterian Church, uh, said it this way. He was rephrasing what Christ said. He goes, I am absolutely, with all my power and being, I'm completely engaged to one goal, to make you a person of greatness, to give you the same incredible glory I have, and to bring my beauty into your life so that you will be a beautiful person too. I am committed to your greatness. I'm committed to taking my pulsating life and hooking you up to me so it comes into your life. That's what I'm all about. That guy should be a preacher. Um, and, uh, and he really is a good one, by the way, if you've never listened to him or read his stuff. 
They're saying that's the purpose of Christ, to make you a person of greatness, to change and to transform you and not to let you stay how you are. So if you're just investigating this, I want to put it right out there in front of you. He's not coming to tinker with a little bit of your life. He is actually not all that concerned if you drink too much. He's not all that concerned if you are having extra or premarital sex. He's not all that concerned if you cheat on your taxes. He's not all that concerned if you cheat on your exams in class. Uh, He's not all that concerned of whether you drive the speed limit. He's not all that concerned about all of those other things. Those are the E-F-G-H-I, all of those. What he's concerned about is this. Am I the Lord of your life? Do you believe me? Let me take up residence in you, the A, B, and C of the Christian faith. Too often we start with the moral implications of the Christian life, and we miss the first part. Christ says, we'll get to that. I am concerned about those things, but not primarily. I want to take up residence in your life and be the Lord of your life, and I want to totally transform your life and make it a life of greatness. And then you will see the implications into every other area of your life. Too many churches and too many people start with the implications. Stop doing this, start doing that, stop doing this, and then you can come and experience Jesus. What Jesus is saying here is you first have to be grafted into me. You first have to believe in me and come and be a part of me. And then my life begins to flow from me into you. And guess what his incredible life does in yours? It makes you think about what you do with your sexuality. It makes you think about what you do with your money. It, it, it affects the manner in which you engage your neighbor. It affects your life. But only if it's his life growing through you. So that's the end game. That's the end result. I was just talking with a young man recently. And he said, you know, he said, here's the deal with where I am with Christianity right now. And I said, I'm interested. Please share with me. He said, I don't like it. I said, okay, why? He said, because I don't like the implications of it. I said, go further with that for me. He said, I know that everything else out there is a lie, and I know that Christ is the truth, and I know that Christianity is the only truth that I should believe in, but it's just the implications of it are hard because it really means that I can't keep on living in the way that I really want to keep on living, but I want to live for Christ now, and it's going to be a challenge for me to really live for Christ and to see him live through me. That's the difficulty that I have with Christianity. And I was like, "Woo!" for a 19-year-old boy, he got it pretty well. And that's where some of you are wrestling right now. But the answer is this. Christ says you'll never find life anywhere else. You may find a momentary joy or a momentary happiness, but a sustained life will only be found in him. And true greatness, if you want to see change in your life, it comes through him. So that's the end game. That's Jesus' purpose in all of this. So then the question becomes, how do we see this life change happen within us? And there's two ways to see it happen within us. One is the external, and the other is the internal. One is the external, and the other is an internal change. We talk about this regularly. We say that we don't want to see behavioral modification. We want to see true heart transformation, and there's a big difference in that. Ladies, I think I've used this before, but it's a good one. Um, Let's say you and your husband are having some issues. And that never happens, I'm sure, in Christian marriages. But if in case it did, and you found yourself maybe at odds, 
and you were very frustrated with your husband, and you and your husband uh, came, and you sat down with a counselor or with me, and you said, we're in trouble. Our marriage is in trouble, and you listed out your uh, list of things that your husband was doing wrong, and I looked at the husband, and I said, hey, bud, you might want to get your act together. Because this beautiful woman who's sitting in front of you, you're treating her like a jerk, and you need to change your ways or else she's going to leave you. Now, pride and fear are going to take place usually in that man's heart, and so you're going to start seeing change in him. He's going to start coming home when he's supposed to come home. He's going to start acting a little bit better. He's going to start doing things. He may even start to give flowers. He may even do some dishes. Uh, In our church, we like to get men, and we wanted to get a T-shirt, but it was too misunderstood. We wanted to say we had a wife beaters club uh, in our church. And we wanted the men of our church to beat their wives to the door and beat their wives to the dishwasher and beat their wives uh, to all of the laundry uh, and to all of those things. We wanted the men to get first, but it was, it was lost in translation. Uh, so uh, we didn't do that. So you may see some of these behavioral changes happening. But then there's a very interesting thing that happens. The wife looks, and after a while, she's not so upset. And the man goes, dodge that bullet. And if nothing internally has changed, if he hasn't seen that he really is supposed to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her and was to die to himself regularly before his wife and his hopes, dreams, and desires are supposed to be set below his wife's dreams, hopes, and desires and his role in his wife's life is to create and to see her made beautiful in the image of Christ, then all of a sudden after a time when he's dodged the bullet, he begins to go back to old patterns and old ways. Or maybe he keeps doing some of those things, but resentment and anger build within him. That was just external for him. There wasn't really anything internal happening. But for the other man who may have really gotten, you see a sustained growth in relationship with his wife, with his beloved in that way. Now, let me take a step back in this way. Guys, you're not always the bad guy. Wives, your husband, I didn't say, I just used, I could flip it around and go the other way. So, uh, wives, I don't want you elbowing your husband saying, see, see, he knows you're a bonehead. He knows you can't get it right. Buy me some flowers, doggone it. We're going to see Bill on Monday. Uh, Women, you may be part of the problem too uh, in that as well. But external changes don't affect the heart. You've heard a little joke about kids when you tell the child to sit down and the child crosses his arms and says, I may sit down, but I'm standing up on the inside. Nothing really internally has changed. You see, Christ is coming, and Christ says this. If it's all just trying to hook on fruit on the outside, that's not really life. It's just ornaments. Uh, That's just fake. The only way to really begin, and some of you know what that feels like in your life with Christ, because you're working really hard. Here's normally what happens uh, in the Christian life. You come to Jesus, and what happens? You come and you hear of the free grace of Jesus, and you go, oh, that's so wonderful. I'm going to believe in that. I'm going to follow that. And what's the first thing somebody does? Here's a Bible. Read your Bible now. 
oh, okay, I've got to read my Bible every day. Yes, you should get up every morning. And here's a devotional to put with that Bible. So not only do you need to read your Bible, you need to read the devotional that goes with it. Okay, I've got to have my quiet time. And I'm there in the morning, and I'm going to do this thing, and I'm going to, everything's going to be great. Oh, and then you need to be a part of a women's group, or you need to be a part of the youth group. Oh, and you should be a part of the men's accountability group. And so you need to get that going. Okay, I've got, I got one more thing there. Oh, and you need to regularly attend church. Make sure you're there every, and if you're really good, you should probably come earlier to Sunday school, because Sunday school is important too. And then, oh, if you're, and then Sunday night, we've got a Sunday night thing, so you need to attend Sunday night uh, as well. And so you, you need to be there. Oh, and by the way, you've got a lot of money, and God wants 10% of that, and so you need to tithe, and so you've got to tithe your money, uh, and you've got to do that. And then you, oh, you need to be memorizing Scripture, and so make sure that you're memorizing Scripture. And then instead of going on that vacation to Aspen this year, maybe you should go to a Christian retreat. Uh, maybe you should go to a conference instead, uh, and you should do that. And you should, oh, and you should probably go overseas on a mission uh, and, and do that as well. And so all of a sudden, this great joy that you had in following Christ becomes what? Holy cow. I am worn out. And you're doing, and you're doing, and you're doing. And you're serving, and you're serving, and you're serving, and all of this external weight is bearing on you. After a while, you begin to just resent it. Or you think that that's actually life, is in the doing. Life is not in the doing. Now, this is going to be hard, and you're going to have to come back to this, I promise you. Come back to it. What I'm saying is not that doing is all wrong. We should be doing. We should be bearing fruit in good works and obedience to Christ. But it's the source. Where does it begin? Christ says it begins with being grafted into me. Abiding is the word that's used over and over and over again. Abide in me. Let my word abide in you. Let it be a a hallowed, sacred place. Let it be something, it's an overused word, or at least it used to be. Let it be organic. Let it be something that naturally grows from you. As a friend of mine, he's a Christian um, musician and writer. I think he's in New York City. I've lost track of him over the years. But I remember sitting in Memphis with this guy. And he was young and trendy and had all the right answers. And we're sitting in this uh, little restaurant. It was kind of shady, and it's when you could still smoke inside. And so this guy, Chris, is sitting in, his, in the pew, and he's, you know, Bill, your problem. And I was like, please, enlighten me. You're at 19, um, <laughs> what my problem is. He goes, your problem is you're all about doing and not about being. I said, you're just supposed to be with Jesus and not do all this stuff. And I was like, that's awesome. What does that mean? <laughs> How do you be? Tell me, explain being. And he goes, well, you know, you just get with him with, the, with your Bible, and you're just with him. It's like, that sounds like uh, quiet time. He goes, see, you went to doing. It's like, but it, you just said being and doing seem to be the same thing. He goes, no, one's a means to an end. And I was like, you're confusing me. He goes, you're the pastor, you're not supposed to be confused. What are you doing in the ministry? (laughs) I was like, I don't know. I'm totally confused. And some of you are probably going, I'm kind of confused too, this whole being. I don't know what being is like. I know what doing is like. Here's where you have to keep coming back to it over and over again. And the coming back to it is this. Ask why you're doing the things you're doing. And if the things that you are doing are really giving you life, 
Are they a refreshment to you? Is there a replenishment within your soul? If you've come through, and where's Kay Bennett? Is Kay out here? Of course she's not out here. She's served. There's Kay. I'm going to embarrass you, Kay, okay? You can get mad at me tomorrow. Kay was here on Friday helping prepare all the food for Friday. Kay was here on Saturday helping prepare the food on Saturday. Kay was there last night helping to prepare food last night. Kay was in there earlier getting the coffee and the cookies ready for us today. And she was working and working. And though it brings, but in talking to Kay, what I've learned about Kay is this. That serving, because it's connected to the true vine, brings her life. Does she get physically tired at times? Yeah. Does she get a little frustrated at times? Never at me, I'm sure. But for others of you, uh, she may. But there's a bringing of life out of that doing. Do you see the difference? She's incredibly busy, and some of you need to be busier than you are, and some of you need to be less busy, but all of us need to ask the question, is what I'm doing for Christ bringing me life? And when you do get fatigued, where do you run? Where do you go back? Christ says, if my word abides in you. He's saying, my word, the scriptures, are a place of absolute life for you. Are they that for you? Are you going back there regularly to feed on Christ? To be nourished by Christ and to hear his words washing over you again and again and just letting that just refresh you and be reminded of who you are? Are you taking moments to pause? I know on our staff we've been talking and Matt has been a great challenge to me uh, of just saying, Bill, where are your margins? Where are your places just to go and be with Christ and just to sit with him? Now, I'm a doer. I don't know what sitting feels like. Sitting turns into a nap. And so I, sitting gets dangerous for me. You can ask the team, I'm going to go sit and study. And then they look in the door, it's like, well, Bill's studying with his eyes closed again. Uh, so I feel like I need to be doing. But the challenge is how can we just be and abide? Here's where this is, sermon's going to derail for you. I'm not going to give you an answer. Because it's different for some of you. For some of you, the being with Christ is to sit in the morning and to see the sunrise and to be so overwhelmed by the presence of a creative God that you look up at him and you realize he has breathed into me new life. And you worship and you praise him right there simply in that being and it refreshes you. For others of you, it's going and serving in a soup kitchen and it's caring for the needs of others. It's being engaged in ministry. It's sharing your story with others. It's going and changing diapers in the nursery here. It's playing uh, music on a Sunday morning. It's doing whatever it is that you do. So it's different. But the source of it should always be Christ himself. And then this, and we'll end. And this is kind of a hard place. I probably shouldn't end here, which should probably lead me to not do this then, but I'm going to. If you're growing and you're seeing fruit bearing out in your life, the expectation should be for pruning to happen. Some of you are really, really good gardeners. And you know the only way to get the fruit trees to bear more fruit is to trim them back. 
to trim even what seemed to be healthy limbs back. And if you were in your garden, I had a woman across the street, and we had this huge uh, rose bush, and she was great with roses. And she came over and she said, Bill, can I teach you how to prune that rose bush so that it's going to flourish even more? And she said, when that comes up, don't cut it right by the one that's three, but cut it right by the one that has five leaves on it. That's where you want to cut it. And then it's going to come, and it's going to burst out in even more beauty in that. She says, but you've got to continue to cut it back so that it will continue to flourish. Here's the expectation. Christ, the Lord, cuts into your life. And there are things that happen when what he's doing through those things is to prune you and to move you and to challenge you and to encourage you. But here's something about this table. Christ said, I was cut off so that you would only have to be cut back. I was cut off from the land of the living. I was destroyed under the hand of my father. But you, you're only going to be pruned. And I won't destroy you because you're in me. And so the things that are happening in your life, if they're destroying you, if you're feeling that they're too much for you to handle, the challenge has to then be, what's your source? What's your source in your life? We can't talk about money. We can't talk about your time. We can't talk about all of your talents. We can't talk about all of those things until we settle on your source. Until you settle on your source. Because we've got some really incredible, exciting things that are going to happen in the life of this church over the next few years. I absolutely firmly believe that God is already stirring and at work to do awesome things. But what it's going to take from our congregation, from me as a leader, a Korean pastor friend who once came to me and I said, how is it that the church grows under your ministry? How is it as a young pastor I can, can do these things? He said, Bill, the key to faithful and fruitful ministry is the pastor must suffer. And so I realized that for this church to grow, it's going to affect me and it's going to affect my family. It's going to affect each of you. And God's going to do some pruning and he's going to do some work. And then when we get so connected with the source, he's going to go, now I need to ask for some things from you. I need you to lay out your life in front of me and again do these things to see greater things happen. And that's exciting. That means there's going to be some difficult days coming too and some moments. So let's encourage ourselves in this way. Come back to the true vine. Come back to the true vine light, the true source in that way. And then he says this, and from you, ah, you'll bear much fruit. You'll bear much fruit. Let's pray. Father, we ask now for your spirit to come and to minister to us in a deep way. The things that we're talking about, they're essential to our life with you. And I pray they're not confusing. What does it mean to be and not just to do? For some, that means they need to slow down. They need to take a breath. They need to just rest in your presence. For some, they find rest in doing. For when I run, I feel God's pleasure. So would we know what it's like to run and to feel your pleasure, to find out how to use our giftedness in your presence, and it bring you and us joy in that way. 
God, for some who are coming back, I pray that today they would see a Savior who says, I was willing to be cut off so that you could have life in me. And I've chosen you, I've come and I've found you, and I want to be your life. So for today, God, would new life spring up in some who are here? And now would you bless our time as we come around these tables and celebrate the meal of the King? So we pray in Christ's name. Amen.